Welcome to the Spirit Forward Podcast, a show dedicated to the teaching, discussion, and demonstration of the work of the Spirit of Jesus. God bless you, and thanks for listening. Hey, welcome back to the Spirit Forward Podcast. My name is Joshua Robinson, here with my good friend Ken Scott, and today we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And Ken, this is a podcast conversation that's recapping your Spirit Forward Conference sermon. It's listed on YouTube titled Man of Fire. And as I went back and listened to that sermon in preparation for this conversation, I got to say, it was lit, man. That sermon was fantastic and I uh, really loved it. Um, before I get into the questions I, I have for you today, um, maybe you could give your heart behind that sermon and what was it that was driving you as you prepared um i mean you know some of the little side quips you made in that sermon really indicate that you were thinking about your audience in in such a compassionate way so what was your heart behind that sermon i think it speaks to the heart of spirit forward you know why you and i and uh other guys jared and josh smith and others are involved in this is um, doing ministry, living the Christian life, uh, seeking the Lord with all your heart, and then realizing that something you're seeking is something the Lord is giving out freely to his uh, sons and daughters. Wow. And yet you're um, you're almost ignoring it. It's It's been redacted in the scriptures when you read it. Right? Mm. Uh, Jesus uh, the, the, you know, when John the Baptist says, I will, uh, I baptize you with water, but one comes behind me who baptizes with the spirit and with fire. It, it's just something I read over and over and over again and did not compute. Right. I didn't think, oh, that's for me. I thought in wow. general terms like, oh, yeah, he did that in Acts to the church. And yeah. Today, we get that through conferences. We get that through mm. uh, um, our our daily devotionals. It's just automatic. And, um, you know, when I was 21, I read a book called Deeper Experiences of Famous Christians. And uh, outside the scriptures, I think that book altered the course of my life more than anything else. Well, it's a classic um, by J. Gilchrist Lawson. Hmm. And it starts with guys like Moses and ends with uh, men like D.L. Moody uh, because of the time <laughs> the book was written. And it's just about the experiences, the experiences that they had after they um, either when they got saved, got born again, or after they were born again. And he really doesn't try to, um, as I recall, anyways, it's been a few years since I picked up the book. He doesn't try to like um, give a theology for their experiences. He just lets the, the experiences speak for themselves. So like a Methodist preacher like Peter Cartwright is called to preach in a dream. Um, D.L. Moody is you know, shaken to the core in a friend's um, uh, you know, room in New York City. Moses is shaken by the burning bush experience. Um, Savonarola uh, preaches with no power, no results, goes away and says, God, you know, basically, let me preach with power or kill me. And then preach yeah. incredible power in, uh, in Italy, you know, centuries ago. And so stories like that, George Whitfield is saved uh, as a result of a dream, um, you know, you read those stories and you think God is not limited by my textbook I was given in college. Uh, God is on the That's move right. and he's calling people. That's right. And I want to get outside the box so he can work. And so I think that's the heart, right? Like you, you, you struggle with discouragement and uh, feeling like a failure. And, and then the Lord comes along and says, um, I have something for you. I have a comforter for you. You don't have to feel this way. And when you do feel this way, you don't have to stay this way. You know, getting filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make you immune to discouragement. It yeah, right. You the solution, the person that you can that you can pour it out to, yeah, who can take it away so much quicker. And so your seasons of that shorten. You realize it's a temptation um, that you can that you can walk away from. And uh, so that's just been the heart of Spirit Forward is. You know, we don't want to change your denomination. We don't want you to make churches that look alike 
all change to look alike in a different way. We yeah, totally. In the diverse body of Christ. And uh, this journey has, you know, how exciting was it to read um, Dennis Bennett's nine o'clock in the morning, the, the pastor of the largest Episcopalian church in America in the 1950s got baptized in the spirit or to read a uh, congregationalist like D.L. Moody get baptized in the spirit or a Methodist like Peter Cartwright. Um, you know, like you realize like the Lord is working in his body and he's not worried about the denominational label. He's worried about the heart hungry men and women who are seeking him who can get set on fire. So that's kind of the heart that I wanted to bring to the sermon. Yeah, you brought it. You brought it. Um, okay. So there are, there's no shortage of explanations of what is the baptism of the Holy spirit. Um, frankly, it is kind of one of those divisive doctrines in church history, particularly the last couple centuries. Um, you know, one of my favorite explanations comes from um, the God I never knew, right? Robert Morris. Um, I thought that was a really insightful one. Um, you know, Tory and uh, Tozer, those guys um, had their explanations. Um, what What do you think would be a succinct way that you personally would describe the baptism of the Holy Spirit that... Uh, John the Baptist declared and and that is promised by the scriptures. Shoot. That's a a loaded question because every yeah. Yeah. Sure. the baptism of the spirit is a engaging in a relationship with the spirit that you received at salvation. Okay, I like that. I like so emphasis on relationship. Yeah, it's a relationship with a person. Yeah. So for me, and I'm I'm defining that from the scriptures, but also from my experience. Uh, uh, for me, I was saved when I was five. I very rarely ever doubted that since it was a holy moment for a five-year-old. Amen. Uh, the other times when I doubted it was like a teenager uh, uh, in shame, struggling with lust. But in 38 years of living, you know, 33 years since I got saved, um, I very rarely doubted that. But then to have an encounter with the Lord, multiple encounters with the Lord, where this person inside of me takes control. Um, and, you know, makes me fall deeper in love with Jesus. It makes me love the church in a deeper way. It makes me love my family in a, in a new and profound and pure way. Um, leads me into forgiveness, leads me into repentance. All of a sudden, there's this person who's holding my spiritual hand, so to speak, and walking me through these things that Jesus taught, things that I've read dozens of times in Scripture, uh, things that I've heard about in preaching. But now I feel a person that I've, I've engaged with, that I've encountered. And um, so that, that for me is a baptism of the Spirit, when he becomes not just your, like, endorsement right a lot of people talk about the holy spirit like he's an endorsement like oh the spirit's here so we can do this the spirit hmm. that he doesn't become that he becomes a person who you're engaged with hmm. you're interacting with that you can feel his leading a lot of um my baptist brethren speak of the holy spirit as an assumed relationship sure but i see the baptism of the spirit as a um a real tangible relationship that you know there's a before and after when it's assumed there's no before and after it's like yeah i got saved i've got him he's here somewhere but when and many people get this experience right when they get saved right they they get saved and they have the holy spirit with them from then on but then there's um because of the teachings in the church and uh, because of ignorance i believe there's Thousands of people who are born again on their way to heaven, who love Jesus, have the spirit side of them, but have never engaged with the Holy Spirit. And that, frankly, is not going to happen until they start crying out for him and mm. receive that baptism. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I would also include there for those of us who did teach wrongly. I, I think there's a, a measure of repentance that needs to happen for having previously you know, quenched him. Uh, even grieved him. I think uh, that that's a huge part of my story. Um, in fact, I think last year at the conference, you used this phrase that really stuck with me. You said you had a baptism of repentance 
And I totally resonated with that. You know, it was like, yes, yes. I, there was no breakthrough for me at all uh, until there was a turning, there was a repentance. Um, I love the emphasis on relationship because I think that when when you read stories um, of believers, of Christians who, you know, experienced and encountered the Almighty, and when you read stories of God touching a ministry and empowering it, if our identity is in our ministry then there's going to be um, a resulting covetousness. There's going to be a resulting like identity crisis. And so if, if I get my self-worth out of who I am as, as a worker of, of Jesus, as a servant of Jesus, then, um, then when I hear about power in other people's ministries that I don't have in mind, that that's going to absolutely cripple me. And um, I mean, I, I, I went through that. Um, recognizing that there was power uh, even in your church, but certainly in the churches that I was reading about and going, well, goodness, I don't have that power. So does that mean I'm not a son? Does it mean I'm unsaved? Does it mean I'm you know less valuable? So understanding, and for me, the understanding of relationship was actually my first like personal deliverance um, from lust. And it just came in a moment when the very, real present love of God, the love of the father uh, poured over me in such a, a real way in, in, in a way that I felt his nearness, you know, wasn't in a church service, wasn't in the worship uh, space. I wasn't at a conference, you know, I was, I was at home crying out for help and the love of the father came over me. And I knew he was so near and I knew how warm and gentle he, he, he was towards my heart. And in that moment, the love of the Father poured out, you know, by the Holy Spirit, uh, totally just, you know, evaporated any measure of lust there was there. So it was love and relationship from Abba that was that delivering factor and like the holiness factor um, that it can't be manufactured. Yeah, it's been described by different people in some way of like, uh, liquid waves of love mm. you have an encounter with the spirit you just feel the love of the father uh Amen. More in love with jesus and i'm using that word feeling and we use the word experience and yeah like a kind of like a backlash against that in the yeah. today like yeah. we have the scriptures so we don't need feelings but the scriptures are filled with feelings yeah totally the scriptures are filled with encounters i mean the the first commandment is love god <laughs> Yeah, and 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 those passages of scripture are promises, right? It's not a, it's not a history book alone. It's a that's good it's a book of promises. And so when you read David saying, "As the heart pants after the water brook," or "Panteth," uh, for my <laughs> King James only friends, uh, so longs my soul, so pants my soul for you, right? Um, that's a that's a promise that you're allowed to feel that way, and mm. if you if you seek me. You will find me. That's a promise. So we read of David's seeking. Uh, we read of the Lord's response. I found me a man who's after my heart, a man after my own heart. Um, and that's just one example of so many. Um, and yeah, that's wonderful. That's what the, the baptism spirit is, is a response to a hungry soul searching for intimacy with God. And that's why we were made to 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 praise and glorify God and commune with him um, and to be friends. I, I love Jack Deere's emphasis. When you read about the, for me, I've always been a power guy, a dunamis guy. I want to know about the power of God. And so I'm reading a book surprised by the power of the Holy spirit. And all it is, is about friendship. I'm like, no, where's the power, you know, and the <laughs> stories of power, the stories of, of great prophetic um, uh, encounters and, and beautiful things, healing but it's about friendship, right? Baptism with the spirit, the Holy spirit, the spirit of Jesus connects us to our father. And, uh, Romans eight, a chapter about the spirit of God is all about relationship. The cure, as we talked about in previous episodes for being an orphan is adoption. And, uh, the Holy spirit brings us into family. He brings us into encounter. He brings us into relationship. He brings us into experience. And that's a, that's, that's awesome stuff. 
right? Yeah. That's, that's what it's all about. And then Jesus, who said to his disciples, I don't call you servants, I call you friends, because the master tells his friends what he's doing. And I, at the heart of prophesying, at the heart of hearing the voice of the Lord is friendship with God. Um, you brought up um, Surprised by the Power of the Spirit, and I was just thinking of uh, an excerpt from that book where he said, nobody approaches the spiritual gifts unbiasedly. All of us are informed by experience. And I know what you just said about um, like denigrating experience for us to speak against experience because we're, you know, such strong Bible people. That's how I was for so long. But um, what I found to be the case is when I started talking to pastors about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Spirit, um, pretty much always the conversation would end up with a pastor and myself included. I said this at one time, every single pastor says, yeah, well, what we see on TV isn't what happened in the book of Acts. And it's like right then and there in that moment, we depart from scriptures. We depart from sola scriptura, from Bible as our sole authority. And we step into the realm of experience. What I see on TV doesn't match what's in the book of Acts. That's an experiential statement. So we are all informed by it. And that's not a bad thing. Like it's a soup. Jesus healed because he was moved by compassion. He saw the masses as sheep having no shepherd. What he saw affected his heart. He was moved by compassion and he acted. So that's it. I mean, that's a good pattern to follow. When you said that, it made me think of this passage I read in Zechariah this morning. Um, the the people of the Lord's armies, Zechariah nine fifteen. Dude, I read Zechariah nine this morning. Hallelujah, divine harmony. Yeah, they will shout in battle as though drunk with wine. Yes, <laughs> they'll be drenched, so wild, and they'll be drenched with blood. But the blood. Of- I'm gonna prove it. I'm gonna prove it to the audience. I, I wrote it in my journal. Okay. <clears throat> While Josh is gone, I will just talk. Uh, but no, they they will shout as though drunk with wine. And that's that's fulfilled in Acts 2, right? The people of God. Zechariah. Zechariah and I am boy. Hallelujah. <laughs> We're not even organized enough to be this. Uh, yeah, right. Except, um, but you know, I read that and thought, there it is. Like, it's in the scriptures. And I get it. It's, it's really hard <clears throat> when you see an, a religious experience done in the name of Jesus that's totally foreign to how you did church or do church currently. I totally understand that. In fact, I've gone back and watched some services from like the first year of, of Faithway um, to the church, the name of the church I pastored. Now it's the Father's House. but And I'm like, man, that's a totally different experience than what I'm having now in church. So I get the how when you feel like it doesn't gel with your current experience, that it can't be God. Um, but I, I've, I've said this over and over again, and I really want to drive it home, the body of Christ is diverse. It is, um, it's broad. Um, we know that culturally, right? We don't expect people in African nations to worship like we worship or to have those expressions that we have. <clears throat> um, so we know it, we know there's a, a cultural difference. If you walk down the street and walk into a African American Baptist church, and then you walk into a predominantly white, uh, church, the, the, the expression of worship that you're going to feel, um, you know, is different. And so we, ha- we, we know that subconsciously, but we still struggle with the fact the Lord might want to change our culture. He hmm. might change us. Oof. We know we need to change in our discouragement and our failures and our depression, but we don't want to change our expression of worship. And we don't, the enemy tries to keep us from connecting the two. Like, oh, wait, if I worship passionately, and I lose my fear of man, and I lose my insecurity, and I lose my allegiance to tradition, then it might actually break the sin that that um, has led me into addiction. It might actually break the the roots or the chains that have that have held me down, and it might expose the root cause um, and cause me to renounce those lies and have inner healing and just get filled with the spirit. So, um, yeah, I feel like. That's the heart of, of the spirit. When he comes in, it changes, you know, the disciples, we get through the four gospels, we get a glimpse of the disciples pre spirit baptism and they are, they're filled with strife, totally competitive, 
they're you know arguing about who um, is the greatest among them while Jesus is washing their feet. <laughs> uh, there's irony there. They are arguing who gets to sit at the right hand of the Father. And then after the Holy Spirit comes, like, and Jesus is gone, the guy who like kept him in order, he is uh, he is ascended to heaven. There's this unity, predominantly amongst the apostles. And what's the difference? The Holy Spirit. And so you can be in the presence of Jesus, following Jesus, and still be filled with strife, competitiveness. Uh, we might call it, uh, um, you know, the denominationalism, right? Sectarianism. You can be filled with all that, and then when the Holy Spirit comes. It, you know, it changes and that fire burns that away. Amen. So you, you were referencing Zechariah nine fifteen. the Lord of hosts shall defend them and they shall def- devour. This is his people, right? They shall devour and subdue with sling stones. They shall drink and make a noise as through wine. And they shall all be filled, filled, filled with what, right? They shall be filled like bowls and as the corners of the altar, man, if that wasn't prophesied and then fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, you know, because the onlookers looked on and said, oh, these guys are drunk in the third hour of the morning, right? They're, these guys are drunk. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Prophecy fulfilled from Zechariah chapter nine. I feel like it's awesome. the Old Testament for fulfillments of all the ministry of Jesus, life and Je- life of Jesus. And we should, right? Calvary is when the rivers of prophecy ran to the sea of fulfillment, but mm-hmm. the prophets are also filled with prophecies about life in the spirit after the ascension and this is one of those and so uh that's exciting right we often quote from zechariah not by might um not by power by thy spirit says the lord and so right we're 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 catching on we know a little bit um that that the prophecies do the prophets do speak about ministry in the spirit life in the spirit but it's filled with references filled with references and and obviously one of those that we really focused on for that that message was the references to fire yeah okay so then you have what john prophesied to to be jesus will baptize you uh with the spirit and with fire so there's a twofold baptism going on and i do also want to delineate um up front for um some of our listeners who might have are thinking like I, I used to think, um, which is being baptized into Christ is being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I think it was that Robert Morris who put my attention on this thing that like just with simple attention to grammar, uh, there are these different baptisms that are being defined in the New Testament. So when Paul says like we are baptized into the body, we're baptized into Christ, um, you then have John saying something differently where uh, that was promised again by Jesus in Acts 1. He says, you're going to be baptized with the Spirit. And there's just like two different baptisms going on here. But when John prophesied of this baptism with the Holy Spirit, he included this mention of fire. And so that being the key word of your sermon, what would you say is the connection between a baptism of fire and our personal holiness? Or secondarily, What's the connection between the baptism of fire with our personal love? And you have talked a bit about relationships and maybe focus on the holiness part of it. Yeah. So I would just go back to what you're talking about, the difference between baptized into the body, baptized by the spirit. Mm -hmm. Jesus clearly shows that he takes possession of his disciples in the sense of you are mine Mm. in, uh, in John 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, there's this holding in, um, and it's a culmination of what he did when he called them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. But the culmination is that last supper and it's a, a possessing when he comes back after the resurrection, he breathes on them and says, receive the spirit. And then in the same conversation says, now wait for the spirit to come. Right. So one of them is like this sealing of the body, sealing of them together as belonging to Jesus. And then the other is, um, him baptizing them, covering them with the spirit and, and you know, words still fall short to express it, but just trying to, to create some some differentiation there and, and, and nuance that helps us understand it. So the baptism of fire. So uh, a personal anecdote is when um, a friend of mine, Jewel Newman, who runs a ministry in Georgia, he he talked about being baptized with fire. And, and I had been baptized in the spirit already at that point. 
uh, mm-hmm. and had an encounter in my home with my wife and the Lord that was beautiful, which I talk about in the sermon, talk about the conference at least. But um, I I struggled with him talking about baptism of fire. Like he's like you you may think you have the spirit if you don't have the fire and. And when people talk that way, of course, to any pastor, there's a fresh <laughs> side of us where we bristle. At least I do. Yeah, yeah, totally. You're, you're holier than I am, Josh, so you probably don't. But I do. I, I bristle like, <laughs> I don't have the fire. Have you heard me preach? Man, I spit when I preach sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, I don't wear a tie anymore, but I still can sound like an old timer when I preach. Uh, and and uh, and yet, when oh, I went man. back to the scriptures, um, what caught my attention was the Lord talking about covering the earth with his fire first. And, and when you think of that, you think of judgment. And so I'm thinking, okay, baptized with fire is the day, you know, he's not going to flood the earth with water anymore. That's the whole point of the rainbow covenant. But he's gonna, he is going to cover the earth with fire one day. Yeah. That's what he means. So if, if you tell me I need to be baptized with fire, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm immune to the judgment. But at Pentecost, everybody gets covered in fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So are they being judged? You know, uh, I guess in a sense, they're being judged as belonging, right? Being judged as children of God, like uh, it's a positive judgment. Um, And then they go and they turn the world upside down, right? These unlearned and ignorant men have turned the world upside down. Um, Acts says, tying two verses together there. So these fire-filled, fire-covered um vessels of the fiery spirit are going around the world setting the world on fire right so that just wrecked me yeah i don't know i'm sure i'm sure someone said it and i didn't catch it and like subconsciously it stuck there until i found it certainly not a personal revelation that uh, that i came up with um but it, it it just stuck with me all of a sudden it just came out like no he he did baptize the earth with fire he's baptized the earth with fire through his church that is on fire. Uh, I heard a um, a hedge fund manager interviewed recently, and he's with Lifeway, and he talked about how uh, they, you know, 20 years ago, he sat down with a group of, of wealthy individuals and said, okay, this is how much it's going to cost to get the gospel to every people group. And I don't remember the numbers. Uh, it was something like 150 people groups or, or 1,000 people groups. I uh, haven't heard the gospel yet. And he said, we're down to like our last 12 um this year and he said by the end of the year every people group will have heard the gospel he said it doesn't mean every person wow. on earth will have heard the gospel but yeah. every language that we've found every dialect he said we have we have hired hundreds of translators wow, 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 wow. We could do it. and it was like it stuck when i heard the interview it was like the holy spirit said see there the earth's on fire the fire <laughs> of the gospel wow wow i just man you know i had the chicken skin on my neck you know uh-huh. all of a sudden just the hair stand up in the back of your neck like this is a holy moment this interview on a random uh tbn youtube clip mm-hmm. wrecking me because uh the lord has spread um that fire that vessels of fire right we, we carry the gospel we're like those little lamps right why do you need oil in your lamp so you can burn yes you know if you don't have any oil in your lamp, you can't burn the lord That's comes right. back the Lord comes back, he's going to say, if you didn't have oil, you weren't part of me, right? The the virgins, the parable there are the virgins. Um, and so uh, he, he is setting us on fire and then wants us to catch other people on fire. And and right. all of a sudden you're like, yeah, he does baptize with the fire. That's what he did at Pentecost. That's what he mm-hmm. does when you get baptized in the spirit. It, it is a simultaneous, it's an event that goes together. Yeah, he said, you are the light of the world. And in their context... There's no light without fire, right? You know they didn't have an electricity switch. It was no, no, uh, no fire, no light, no oil, no fire. Yeah, and I didn't answer your question all about holiness in there. So my <laughs> well, I, we, yeah, we've been we've been touching on it. Yeah, yeah, the connection there of holiness is the when the fire of God touches you, it burns away that that dross. Mm-hmm. If you're going to yeah. carry the holy fire, then um, that that's going to expose that light of the spirit exposes the things in your life and just and really burns away the desires for them. You know, to my shame, I remember when I was uh, um, newly married, Netflix had just opened up um, online. It was getting started I'm dating myself here. Blockbuster was still in business. And uh, 
Well, you mean like getting DVDs in the mailbox? Yeah, yeah. And yes, what they did on Netflix was they asked you to rate films that you've watched. Okay. Okay. So I'm I'm confessing here. I think you'd be my priest. But I I rated movies, and it was like hundreds of movies I'd watched. And okay. Yeah. Rate them from one to five stars, and that's how they pick your recommendations. Oh yeah. I don't know if they still do it anymore that way, but I, to my shame, I remember going, just looking at that number one day. Like, if every movie's ninety minutes. Or just round up to two hours. Mm. How many hundreds of hours have I wasted by watching these films? Like this has become a this has become a passion of mine, and that's a whole other conversation about the world's vision versus God's vision. But um, mm. I remember when the Spirit came, just taking away that desire. You know, like it just the desire to watch another film, the the excitement about a, a summer blockbuster being advertised and seeing a preview like was taken away by that Holy Spirit fire because I had seen the real thing, right? I, I was experiencing Jesus. Oh, this is what my soul longed for and what my flesh longed for just paled in comparison, you know? Uh, and, and so that to me is the experience of holiness. And it was, it was no shame. See holiness for me and my upbringing, this is how I heard it. Maybe this is how it was taught. Okay. But how I heard it, holiness brought shame Holiness brought condemnation, and the Holy Spirit was a shaming, condemning spirit, which yeah. is totally contradictory to Romans 8.1, right? No. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation. Um, so yeah, we, and we call it conviction, yeah. Right, right. And Only there to convict us. Right. I always felt like the Holy Spirit was just beating me up. But when you get baptized in the Spirit and you feel this love, you forget about sin. Right, you're just lost. Yeah. Right, right, right. You forget about sin, and um, all of a sudden you're like, man, you know the the pull that was there, the old habits that I had, they're gone. So that my experience is that the love um, of the Father, as as brought through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to me, um, just just took away so much desire, and, and yeah, it, it exposes the difference between an internal sin where you have a chain, we might use the word trigger, and external temptation. We still deal with temptation because we live in the world. But um, you, 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 it feels like such a different battle when those internal triggers are taken away. And, and now you see a path forward for holiness. Uh, do you still stumble and mess up? Yeah. Um, uh, I haven't arrived at sinless perfection yet. <laughs> and, and, and frankly, uh, I don't want to deny the ability of Jesus to do that, but I don't have a space in my, uh, in my theology for it understanding. I just know that holiness is something that God promises us that he gives us through his spirit. And so we, we get all caught up in the weeds of can you sin or can't you sin, which is ridiculous when we just want to stay following the love of Jesus. He saves us. He washes us. Then he fills us in the spirit and sets us on a path forward where we can live holy lives. Man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It reminds me when you're talking about movies, uh, I haven't thought about this one in a while, but almost, I mean, back in the early 2000s, I um, had made a New Year's resolution to like reduce the number of movies I was watching to, it was something like maybe one a week or one a month, something like that, you know? And so it was entirely like by the strength of the flesh that I was going to do this discipline, which you know, it was a good discipline to have, but it's like, you're, you're saying that when there's this fire burning inside of you and, you know, when you've tasted and seen the, that the Lord is good, suddenly your appetites are, are radically impacted and you're desiring for the holy things and you're desiring for more time with him. And, um, and I, this would be out of context, but it's like Paul saying, when I became a man, I put away childish things, um, it's like, I don't have a desire for those things um, that I once had. And there was no legalism behind it whatsoever. There was no work of the flesh whatsoever. It was the grace of God and the the heart of the father um, being poured out all over. And my instinctive response to, to his love and affection um, to desire the things that are, that are of him Um so we, when we talk about baptism of Holy Spirit and fire, and because you and I are preachers, a lot of times the context of the conversation 
becomes four preachers, you know, and we say like Moody or Cartwright um, or Tory or whatever. And it's like, yeah, he, their, their ministry was touched by God. And suddenly hundreds of thousands were, you know, born again. So do you suppose then that the baptism of Holy spirit is just for preachers? Yeah. Yeah. So no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, um, you know, I, when I, when I think of things like this, I try to process them for myself and I also try to process them for my wife. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You but know, she's a better preacher than both of us anyway. Yeah. Uh, but we have, we have a minivan. We're taking our kids to sports practices. Not as many as some people. We were, we're, we're very much the soccer mom and dad. Right. So, um, anytime that I, you know, uh, uh, fancy myself as a superhero Christian, I'm humbled by the simple things of life that we do. Right. Um, and so when I think of fire, like when I'm thinking of who I'm preaching to about the fire, I'm thinking of my wife and great. She's, 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 she doesn't need, um, more spiritual responsibility, right? She's got everything she can handle. And mm. has, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pastor's wife and, um, uh, a mom and a follower of Jesus in her context. So, if I preach about fire the way that some people do, the way that I would like to sometimes as a as a, a, a wannabe fiery preacher, it sounds exhausting. Right? You hear like you need to be fire for God and you're thinking, Oh yeah, I don't have any more time in the day. True, yeah, yeah. You're telling me I gotta pray six hours a day and I have <laughs> to abstain from any form of diversion. Yeah, no movies. <laughs> and what about my children? <laughs> you know, what, what are they going to do while I pray six hours a day? Who's going to raise them? Uh, do you expect me to keep them in the prayer closet with me while I pray? Right? There's this idea that being on fire for God, you know, it's only reserved for nuns, you know, or hmm. apostles mm-hmm. whose wives uh, they never see. You know, it's like the story of Tozer. Oof. Tozer died young, right? And his wife remarried, and they asked her about. Um, her marriage, and she said, "Well, Anthony, I think that was his name, or Aiden, uh, he loved, he loved, uh, he loved Jesus, and my current husband loves me." I was like, "Ooh, that's mm. rough, right? That's a that's a tough testimony." And yeah, yeah. and um, I think that the way that the enemy works when we talk about this conversation, right? He he talks, he creates a theological debate, which we've already addressed, and then he also creates this like imbalanced view. Like if you want to be on fire, then you can't be a quote unquote normal mom or dad. You can't be a soccer mom who lets their kids enjoy basketball or soccer or drama. You can't be um, a normal husband and wife who love each other and enjoy, uh, you know, intimacy and enjoy friendship with each other. You can't be these things if you're on fire for God because you got to spend 12 hours a day in, in prayer and meditation and so as I'm preaching and thinking through fire, you know, I'm looking at Peter who's married. I'm looking at the very real day-to-day events that Jesus was on fire in. You know, his his Holy Spirit fire at a wedding turned water into wine. And the celebration continued. The joy continued. Right on. Right. So what I didn't want in the sermon was to create this idea that's exhausting. Right. Mm. Uh, because many times... Uh, the Christian life has been uh, um, taught and, and defined as an exhausting life where there's very little rest. It's like, oh, with Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath, so you don't get any rest anymore. Well, that's not the case. If Jesus is our rest, then the spirit of Jesus that fills us with fire should produce some rest as well. It should produce um, a, a greater affection for us to have for our children. And it should help us. It should illuminate for us that worship is not just a song. Worship is not just a segment of a Sunday morning sermon. But worship is when my wife ministers to two special needs kids. Um, Worship is when uh, we spend time together and make space to um, hear what the other person needs and communicates. And, And I think the fire of the spirit that burns away the sinfulness in our lives enables us to love well. And if you're going to love well, you got to be with the people you're loving. So I'm thankful for the, um, 
you know, the early church fathers who, uh, or the desert fathers who went away and prayed and meditated. But I'm also really thankful for um, the descriptions in scripture we have of, of men who uh, were with their families, of, of a savior who spent time uh, eating meals with his friends and, and uh, helping them with their struggles. And so I think the, the fire of the spirit enables us to be better in our relationships. We're called to be church. We're called to be salt and light in the world. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I think that the fire of God, and I, I would just try to think of fire in all the different ways we use it in life. And, and I have a lot of great memories sitting around a campfire. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, the fire of God is for every follower of Jesus and there's a different context for each person. And what I really want to help um, in communicating in, in the sermon and communicating this thought and through Spirit Forward is that the fire of God is needed by every believer. It's needed for the parent who struggles with their child. It's needed for the, the marriage where the husband and wife just seem at always at odds and in conflict. It's needed for the, the everyday guy who's just going to work and trying to make ends meet and love his family and follow Jesus. Uh, so no, it's, it's not just for the preacher, right? Um, because preachers are usually delivering the topic. They're usually using illustrations from other preachers, but the Holy spirit touched my wife and I, while we were painting a bathroom and he came and he met with us and he gave us freedom where we needed it. He gave us healing where we needed it. And, uh, it was a beautiful, dramatic encounter that didn't happen at an altar. And yeah. So the, the fire of God is not this mystical thing. It's yes. the touch of the Lord on every one of Abba's sons and daughters Yes, that we need. Yes, man. Hallelujah. Man, uh, just yesterday I was discussing with some of our um, church leaders that when you get into a lot of like Holy Spirit ministries, um, they will often treat they'll often treat the presence of the Lord, um, the anointing of the Lord, the baptism of the Lord, as if it's this great big thing that we have to strive to enter in, you know? And it's like, okay, if you have a worship set that goes for an hour and if you really, really try hard and you're singing, then, you know, you'll please the Lord and his presence will fill the room. And, um, good grief. Can you imagine treating your child like that? Like what, what parent says, if you please me good enough, then you can have me. It's absurd. So yeah, I, I mean, thanks for prioritizing that, that the fire of God is for all of God's kids, the Holy Spirit of the Lord, his presence, his, his love, it is his voice. It is for every one of his children. Um, I listened to a song today called Preachers. I think the artist's name is Harvest, I think. Um, and in the chorus, it's like we're looking ter uh, for two preachers. Uh, they breathe fire. We don't know where they come from. And, you know, it's alluding to that prophecy in, in Revelation. And it is interesting to see the usage of fire all throughout the book of Revelation. But I think to myself that those two preachers, it's an echo of the prophecy going again back to Zechariah, where Jeshua and Zerubbabel are pictured as these two anointed men who are receiving this flow of Holy Spirit oil. And they they are illuminating and leading a nation. And what was good for Joshua and Zerubbabel is good for the church. It, it, you know, we're not looking for two preachers. We are looking for um, saints. We're looking for God's sons and daughters who are anointed, filled, overflowing, drenched, baptized in his oil. And, um, you know, we, you've mentioned multiple times about preaching with fire. And we tend to equate that towards like judgment and, you know, preaching on hell and, and screaming and stuff. And yet it's like, um, you know, the testimony of Jesus, Jesus is that he spoke truth and grace. And when he was in his hometown, they were, they marveled at the graciousness of his words. And I think Jesus didn't speak without fire. And so his fire, his fire breathing preaching 
was noted for its grace and graciousness. Yeah, you know, fire can speak to romance, right? There's a, there's yeah, a boy, passion and a, um, a love um, speaks to desire, and so the, it, it's not just in the area. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I needed that, that like to open my eyes to all the different usages of fire in scriptures to realize, yeah, there's a fiery judgment. We're not saying there isn't one, but there's also yeah. fiery love that's being spread through the church, the God, the the gospel fires. Um. Yeah. I think one thing, if we're talking about doctrine of the baptism of the spirit, one thing we we need to address, right, is the kind of Pentecostal, and I speak of the, the denominational term, not the Acts 2, not a reference to Acts 2, the Pentecostal, classic Pentecostal belief that tongues is a mandatory evidence for the baptism of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, I, w- I would just say that we value and honor the gift of, of tongues mm-hmm. here forward and at my church, the Father's house. We honor that gift, mm-hmm. but we don't see any reference in Scripture tying the baptism of the Spirit um, as a as a doctrine. We see it incidentally. I don't know if we see it systematically. Uh, I know we don't see it systematically as tying the two together, where the evidence of your baptism is tongues. I think the evidence of the baptism of the Spirit is love and holiness, right? And um, and so I think that that's an important distinction that needs to be made. Hmm. Love and holiness don't make for as exciting of a church service as screaming in tongues. It's true. That's true. <laughs> now I, I'm with you though. Um, I mean, we prayed Sunday night over some people who desired the gift of tongues. So we, you know, we also, we honor it. Um, we teach it according to the scriptures. Um, but man, I remember I'm not going to use his name, but there was a, there's a preacher who, who really made it a huge point that like a Christian without tongues is the elephant without a trunk. And back when I wasn't praying in tongues, oh, that hurt. You know, it was like, man, am I a lesser of a Christian? Um, Nope, you're not. And, and I appreciate that was, that was one of the questions on here is the evidence of, of tongues. Um, so could we say ev- that tongues is an evidence of the baptism or is tongues? I think it can be an evidence. I would say that um, we have to we have to treat it like a spiritual gift. And yeah. we know that the Father gives the gifts. And we can't insist that the Father always gives this gift at this time unless the scriptures say that. And what we have is Paul saying, um, you know, through through rhetoric that not everybody speaks in tongues. And uh, we have that in 1 Corinthians 14. So we know not everybody does. We desire that everybody would. But we also um, uh, have this perspective of desiring gifts from the Father and then trusting him to give us the gifts we need. And that's where I land. That's just, yeah. that's just yeah, where I, I have people I love that we, that we do ministry together that would disagree. But... Uh, sure. uh, you know, I, I respect their position and they understand how I've arrived at mine. And Jesus set us straight when, uh, at the, uh, at the conclusion of the kingdom, at the, the culmination of the kingdom. But, um, so I, I just think it's important to allow for the Lord to give his gifts the way he wants to do it. It's rude to go to Christmas and, and insist that the gift giver give, <laughs> give the gifts a certain way when we didn't purchase them. It wasn't our blood that purchased the gifts. And yeah. we didn't create the gifts. So to sit as an onlooker and say, hey, you gave me this gift. Why don't you give it to everybody? And, and to look at those who don't have it and say, well, you don't have what I have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that whole that whole attitude can be felt when you talk about the baptism of the Spirit, right? The you oh, yeah. I have. And oh, I'm yeah. sure that in my um, early fire, I scorched some people by not sure. communicating well this idea. But let me say this. When I read about Peter doing ministry, it's clear that I don't have what he has. Right. Yeah, there is more. It, it's it's. I'm not slamming Peter. I'm not saying, oh man, Peter. You, people were healed when they when they walked underneath your shadow, threw themselves underneath your shadow. How dare you act like you have something I don't have? Right. I mean, it's easy when you read the scriptures. It's harder when you read a contemporary, somebody that's living and breathing with you in this hour. When you realize that God is using them in a way that he's not using you, man, it hurts our ego and our pride. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and 
So I just want to say that there are men and women of God who have something, who are walking in an anointing that I don't have. And I want to have the the faith and the humility to believe, that's the faith part, that God will do everything for me that I'm asking. And the humility to know that because the body of Christ is diverse and because not everybody is used the same way, that he may use me differently than he uses other people. What I don't want is for people to go their entire lives not receiving what God has for them because they didn't believe in it. And so at the risk of sounding like I'm saying, you don't have what I have, I want you to be filled with all of the spirit that God has for you. I want you to be filled in complete measure with the spirit of God. And I've been touched by the Holy Spirit, and I can't stop telling all of my brothers and sisters in the church that they need a touch of the spirit on them as well. Yeah, yeah, and they'll love it. <laughs> Man, to, to receive a gift from, I, you know, like this morning I was doing some work with some photos. I was doing like a photo dump off my off my phone. And I was seeing the pictures of my son opening gifts on his birthday. He's 11 years old, opening presents and just pure joy on his face, pure bliss, pure surprise. And the surprise brings joy. And I do think the the, the father loves to surprise his kids. Um, and, and definitely, you know, even at Christmas was just, you know, a few days ago and you know, there was at one point, one of my boys was looking at the other one opening a gift and it was like, oh, I wish I had that gift. Right. And so that's, it, there's definitely a human nature there, but I read in Psalm, I think Psalm 27 last week and just a beautiful statement of praise from David. He said to the Lord, he said, you have given to the King himself. You have given to the King all of the desires of his heart. And, uh, you know, the Lord will not hold, withhold any good thing to those who walk uprightly. And um, I think a lot of times people that are arguing against tongues are people who don't want tongues. And uh, and yet, you know, a desire for those things, those are good and godly desires for good and godly gifts. Something we definitely ought to lean into without falling into the immaturity of that childlike comparison, like kids on Christmas saying, Ah, he got something I didn't get. You know, meanwhile, we've got we've got some pretty awesome gifts that we can work with. Yeah, I look and, forward to talking. I know we have episodes to come where we'll talk about that gift specifically. Um, but you know, when you talk about that, yeah, you've got to include that that uh, conversation at least briefly to help people um, just understand some context. Um, mm -hmm. With fire, I think I want to I want to wrap up with this idea of from the Old Testament when the Lord led Moses and the children of Israel to uh, build the tabernacle and then later led Solomon to use the resources, many of them that, that David had gathered to build a temple. He had them start off worship in the tabernacle and start off worship in the temple with a sacrifice. And uh, in Solomon's case, it was a tremendous sacrifice. I mean, yeah. Thousands of animals are slaughtered. There's thousands of people gathered around worshiping. There's 120 priests that are doing ministry. And then the glory of God falls uh, on these 120 priests. And then the fire of God falls and consumes the sacrifice. And so when you hear that God's going to baptize with fire, there's this idea of consuming. It's a scary thought. But mm. The beautiful thing about the fire of God, when it falls on you, you become a living sacrifice. You're not consumed. Mm -hmm. Romans 12, 1 and 2, once you've renewed your mind, you can present your body as a living sacrifice. And you are on fire for God, a vessel of fire. You can you, you carry that fire. And you carry that in everything you do. Um, and I think that's beautiful. I think it's awesome that through a podcast, we can burn for God. But then as we go to the grocery store and pray for someone in the aisle, or do church, um, or love our neighbor, but we can burn for God. We're living sacrifices. The fire of God falls on us, but like the bush that Moses saw, we're not consumed. That's right. And uh, and like Moses himself, Moses walked up into the fire and came out glowing. Yeah. But And I love this thought, not original to me. I know you've heard it. We're going to get to heaven, and Moses is going to ask us, what was it like to burn? Right. Like Moses, who saw the glory of God, 
I think, is looking at the church age and saying, now that's crazy. I yeah. think you're allowed to look at the glory of God. You're vessels of the glory of God. Come on. Um, this is an awesome age. No wonder the enemy's fighting it. This is an awesome opportunity to walk with Jesus in a way that the Old Testament saints would drool over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that's that's our passion, Spirit Forward, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, one of the great conclusions, or one of the great points you made in your conclusion of your sermon um, you you asked sort of like that um, rhetorical question of how do I spread fire? You know, like in the context of that sermon, it was somebody comes into our uh, Spirit Forward conference, they get touched and they leave with a passion, you know, burning people are passionate people. And now you have a desire for others to get touched. So the question was, how do I spread the fire? And your response in the sermon was start a prayer meeting. And don't go casting out devils, but start a prayer meeting and incorporate confession and testimony. Incorporate your, you know, personal story of deliverance, your personal story of 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 holiness. And man, I I, I cheered in that point. I think that would be the testimony of like Jim Cimbala's fresh wind, fresh fire. Um, a number of months ago, I asked our assistant pastor, hey man, if you were to go take a church um, or start a church, what would be your first steps as the lead pastor? And he thought about it for a minute and he said exactly what you said. He said, I would start a prayer meeting and I would uh, promote an environment of openness and vulnerability and confession. And it, both of our, both of our churches, when you talk about corporate revival, the father's house was revived and Vere Beach Baptist church was revived because of public confession, um, because of you know prayer rooms and openness and and repentance and accountability and people who were truly desiring holiness, and it it wasn't a people desiring power per se, but when we did our part to to confess, I uh, man, that's when Holy Spirit finds us irresistible and he and he comes in and fills the place yeah yeah so here's the thing about being being on fire for the lord you have to interact with people in a way where they can handle that fire we scorch people when we insist yeah. on the experience that we have so i want you to experience everything holy spirit has for you i want you to believe in the experience but the lord also is the god of timing so if I come aggressively at you to try to set you on fire, I, I don't, I, I'm afraid I'd scorch you. Right. And I've seen that a lot of zealous people, uh, you know, some, you know, in my independent Baptist uh, upbringing, I saw people who got saved. They caught on fire for the Lord because they were newly saved and they offended all their family by telling them all their family, they're going to hell. And then it took decades to undo that, to get their family to a place where they listen to the gospel. So you should start by encouraging people. That's warming them with the fire. Use your fire to be a comforter. That's what the Holy Spirit yes. is for you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so just encourage. You don't need to bring your, you know, negative revelations because usually that's not the uh, that's not the Holy Spirit anyways. Um, and and just be an encourager. Yeah. And one one phenomenal way to encourage people is pray for them. And pray right for encouragement. Don't like don't like use prayer as a guise to gossip or use prayer as a guise to like cast devils out, use prayer as an encouragement and then bring people in uh, yeah. to a prayer room, prayer meeting setting and pray with them and love on them and um, read the Bible with them and then be done, you know, and, and just burn for Jesus at the right distance. And there's going to be times when someone's ready and they're going to say, I want to be filled with the Spirit. I'll do anything to be filled with the Spirit. And that means they've got the oil inside of them. You can lay hands on them and pray, and they'll catch on fire. But uh, but we don't do forced deliverance. We don't do forced spirit. Oof. Yeah, yeah. And um, no forced ministry. On certain things, we just testify and then uh, try to be uh, the fire that's needed. Right? And I think that's uh, 
a super helpful way to spread the fire appropriately is by praying encouragement over people and sharing a word from the, from the scriptures, not a prophetic word, but just a, a verse that the Lord showed you sharing some scriptures to, to encourage. Uh, that's a great, I think a great start in spreading the fire. Amen. Well, absolutely. Paul said that the gifts of the spirit are for comforting, for edification and for encouragement. So you talk about spirit filled ministry. That's where it begins Come on. every time, you know, man, uh, talking to you makes me burn. Ken, I, I love you. I love the ministry that, um, you continue to, to lead and you are calling like you are just calling and drawing out of my heart and out of the hearts of others, a desire to go deeper in the Lord. You're, you're compelling us as a, a community of believers to become more like Jesus, the man of fire himself. And um, so I, I love this conversation. I know that there's going to be listeners to this who who are spurred to say, man, um, I need more. I want more. And because um, I like just talking to you, that's how I feel right now. I'm going to uh, invite our listeners to head over to spiritforward.faith. We love you. And uh, thanks for listening to the Spirit Forward podcast. And we will see you next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. For more resources, please visit spiritforward.faith. And until next time, may God bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you.